<laughs> Final seconds here in this NBA season. The respect from those two. And that's it. It's over. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Locked In Podcast. My name is Ani. My name is Shree. And the NBA Finals just finished. This is our NBA Finals recap. Congratulations to the Los Angeles Lakers for winning their 17th title in franchise history. Congratulations to LeBron James for winning his fourth NBA championship and his fourth uh, Larry O'Brien and his fourth Bill Russell Finals MVP. Very, very well deserved from this Lakers squad. So a hearty congratulations to them. A hearty congratulations to the Miami Heat for stepping it up and really giving the Lakers all they could handle and pushing this game or the series rather to six games. And we just want to talk about games five and game six and answer some more existential questions about the finals. So let's jump right into it. Game five. Shri, what did you notice about that? That game five that was right down to the wire. Well, the funny thing about game five is that everyone had already crowned the Lakers at that point. And I'm not going to lie. Like I'm pretty guilty of that. I thought up three, one, with LeBron James, the head of the snake, forefront of a Laker team that had been through like so much that season, I thought they were going to close it out. I really thought that LA was going to bear down and lock in their, their 17th championship. But, you know, Jimmy Butler, obviously, throughout the season, he always has something to say. And we saw him elevate his game in the finals to a level where we talked about him as a top 10 player. And he really showed that again that another 30 point triple double and Duncan Robinson turned into the second coming of Ray Allen just could not miss banking in threes and one threes giving Kuzma fits on the perimeter um all in all I mean I thought LA played a good game for the most part like they they contained some of the Miami guys who tend to get hot um I think Tyler Hero was held in check for the most part and I'll get to Tyler later because the, he broke out in the bubble. But I think towards the end, he really looked a lot like a rookie when he really hasn't been playing like a rookie for most of these playoffs. But I thought LA executed well. LeBron had an unbelievable three-point shooting game. And the thing with LeBron is when he gets his three going, there's really not much he can do. Like, he's already so unstoppable driving. And when he adds that jump shot, it's just, what can you do as a defense? But the, the thing here was Anthony Davis and his help. And we know watching game six, it didn't matter. AD was just dominant. But when he when he went down and grabbed his heel, I think Twitter was trending with the word Achilles. And I was scared because I thought, oh, my God, did they diagnose this guy with the torn Achilles in the finals when they really had the series wrapped up? So I thought the health played a little impact in how AD really attacked the game plan and how he patrolled the paint, how he was a little less aggressive on offense. But credit to Miami, like their game plan was, let's get this to game six. Let's shut up everyone who's already crowned the Lakers as champions. And I don't know, like it was, it was an impressive effort all around from that Miami team. No, definitely. I think we have to credit the, the Miami offense and defensive game plan. But I, I do think that if Anthony Davis was healthy and didn't re-aggravate that heel, then the Lakers probably would have clinched that night. I, like you, thought it was an Achilles. And just looking at the way he held his his foot, I also thought, man, he's done for the series. So I'm glad as a Lakers fan that he's okay, and even as a basketball fan. But I thought that if AD was healthy, then that, that series would have been clinched. 
that night. But I kind of want to talk about the last few minutes of, of the game. And we, we all know the shot seen around the world with Danny Green wide open, LeBron James being triple teamed, kicking it out to Danny Green, Danny Green shooting it with about 10 seconds left on the game clock and just missing. And a lot of people on Twitter are blaming Danny Green. His wife got death, death, death threats, which is crazy to me. Uh, that should never happen to anyone. But he did miss that wide open three, and he has not been performing well all playoff long. But for me, I think a lot of the blame in the last few minutes of the game should have gone on to Markeith Morris. And the reason for that is in those last few minutes of the game, Markeith was the one that was being switched onto Jimmy Butler. And every single time Butler had the ball and Markeith Morris was on him, he, Jimmy Butler ended up making that jumper. He made three or four mid-range jumpers with Morris on him after being switched off from AD with some good screens. And, you know, again, credit to the Heat for making that switch happen. But it's just ridiculous that, that Morris Morris had, had a terrible game in in Game 5. He was, what, yeah, like he had zero points. He had four fouls, three turnovers, only one rebound. And it, it was just an all-around terrible performance on the offensive side of the ball but particularly on the defensive side of the ball I think he let Jimmy Butler have way too many uncontested shots some of them in the the last two shots Jimmy Butler hit Markeith Morris didn't even jump he just like turned around Jimmy Butler did and just shoot the uh, the step back fadeaway mid-range jumper that he's so good at and Morris didn't even put a hand up there was no contest no contest whatsoever so for me he kind of let the Heat get up to a place where the Lakers had to make that last shot. And then Morris gets the rebound with, what, six seconds left? And he can either pass the ball to AD, he can shoot the ball, he can kick the ball to KCP on the left, kick the ball back to Danny Green at the top of the key, or kick the ball to LeBron on the right. Every single one of those players other than AD is open. But instead, he like indecisively shoots the ball, but doesn't and tries to pass to AD at the same time. And... If Morris hadn't gotten that rebound, I think the blame would have been split 50-50. But because Morris got that rebound and because he had a decision, they had six seconds left. He could have even pump faked, like spun around, drove to the hoop for a layup, something. But he just threw the ball out of bounds for no specific reason. So me personally, I saw a lot of blame going on Danny Green. I think Markeith Morris escaped some of that blame specifically. He'd been playing well in the past few games and we talked about how, how well he'd been playing and how he'd been playing good defense and he'd been a reliable player off the bench and hitting clutch threes for those uh, for the Lakers. But I just think in those final minutes, he really on the defensive side was a liability and on the offensive side just didn't pull through. And again, on Twitter, people were talking about, oh, Michael Jordan won't make that pass. Why does LeBron James make that pass? This is why Michael's the GOAT. But we've seen time and time again, MJ make the pass to Paxson, MJ make the pass to Kerr when he's being doubled or triple teamed. And I, I, I've read online that the game plan was for LeBron to go and try and get an ISO, try to get one-on-one, draft to the hoop, or take a mid-range jumper. He was being triple-teamed. He made the right pass, and it's up to Danny Green, who just had not found a shot this playoffs and in the bubble and continued not to find a shot. And I tweeted, when I saw Danny Green on the floor, I tweeted, they better not let him take this shot. And it's exactly what happened. It's because I knew when he walked on the floor, it had a sinking feeling. And same thing with Morris, too. And the, f- the funny thing is, uh, Stan Van Gundy, right, or Jeff Van Gundy? Which one? Jeff Van Gundy. Jeff Van Gundy, who was commentating, right, along with uh, um, Mark Jackson and Mike Breen for the NBA Finals for, for ABC, said when the Lakers called the time, or sorry, when the Heat called the timeout, was was very surprised. And he's like, "Oh, this is good for the Lakers. They can take out Danny Green. They can take out Morris." 
because those two players hadn't been performing quite well. And he was visibly and aud- auditorily, audially confused when Morris and Green were on the floor for that final possession. Because even he was like, Morris is not playing well. Danny Green is not playing well. Why do you have them on the final possession? So I'm very confused by Vogel's game plan, specifically for having those two players. I think, honestly, having Rondo and Caruso would have been much better. I think even if Rondo has that three, he has a better chance of making it than Danny Green. Just the way Rondo's been shooting these playoffs. So I just want to rant a little bit about that game five final minute decision, final possession decision, because I think that solely rests on the hands of Frank Vogel putting in the wrong personnel. Like, I, I get that you want to put in your quote-unquote best players, but like Morrison and Danny Green in a situation where you need a clutch shot in general might be better than Caruso and Rondo, but in the playoffs, Caruso and Rondo have been playing really well. So I just think you need to give the ball or you need to put in players that, that can make that shot. And Danny Green had not proven this offseason or this season even, this postseason or this season, that he was able to make those shots. So, I mean, it didn't really matter. The Lakers won anyways, right? But Only you could rant about a player missing a shot the day your team wins a title. It just makes me mad. Danny Green, in 2013-2014 with the Spurs, shot 47.5% from three over 23 games, playing 23 minutes a game. This guy's done it before in the finals. I don't have a problem with the shot. Like, it's a make-or-miss league. He just missed a three. I don't have a problem with Every the player shot. Does I have that. a problem with him being on the floor. No. If, you're, if your goal is to win the game, you want open shots with good shooters. Danny Green is objectively a very good shooter who has had a rough bubble. You still trust your guys. You paid him in the offseason for a reason, right? Like, he's a guy who everywhere he's gone, he's contributed to winning culture. Everyone forgets the fact that this guy is a former all-defensive player. Like, he, he, he's definitely helped the Lakers in that. And, like, I know plus-minus is a bad stat, but defensive RPM isn't a bad stat. And, like, Danny Green's defensive rating is always above average, and that continued in the bubble. So, he did a lot of good things for a Laker team that needed switchability out on the perimeter, and he contributed to that. But th- this, isn't I, a situation where, with... this isn't a situation where the Lakers don't have the possession, where the Heat have the possession, and then it was the, the ball got turned over, there was a missed shot, and then the Lakers have the offensive possession. It's a brand new slate. All you need is the shot. And I do agree. Danny Green has stepped up in many situations, and career-wise, he's a great three-point shooter. But we're talking about one moment here, not a career. And careers don't define moments. Moments define careers, right? So I think in that specific situation, you know that Danny Green, he missed two wide. He airballed a shot with two minutes left in the fourth quarter. He airballed a three, right? And so if you're Frank Vogel, this is like he just didn't have it with him that day. He just didn't have the mojo. He just didn't have the shot. Usually he's an archer, but he wasn't that day. And I, I think it's acceptable, although he's been so good throughout his career, if someone's not feeling it, they're not feeling it. You know, if someone's a hundred if someone's a ninety percent free throw shooter, let's say Devin Booker's a ninety percent free throw shooter, and then one day he dismisses one game, he misses all twenty of his free throws that he, free throws that he takes, right? If 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 you're trying to put someone on the line, let's say there's a technical foul and like at the very end of the game, you need one person to hit it, would you put the person who's ninety percent career free throw shooter but they've missed twenty that game? Or would you put the person who's like eighty five percent but has made the five they've made that game? Right? That's my thing. Is like you know Danny Green has not been good that final, so why would you put him in, especially that game? He missed, he airballed a three two minutes before that. He missed another three before that. Like KCP had made a lot of clutch threes, and KCP really redeemed himself. But Danny Green all season, and especially in the bubble, has just not been good, especially that game. He wasn't good at all. So 
I think it's okay to admit that he was bad, but also still trust him as one of the key shooters on a Laker team that won the championship. So, like, this is my thing. Like, if Danny Green wasn't out there on that possession, and let's say you do have, like, Caruso and Rondo in, you have no floor spacing for LeBron. So already the lane is going to be clogged enough. Even with the floor spacing that everyone had, like, LeBron was still, like, triple team driving to the lane. So... I'd rather have it be a good shooter out on the perimeter than someone who usually doesn't take those shots. And Danny Green's only job on the Lakers the entire season has been to play defense and to shoot threes. He is three and D. Like he put the D in Danny for three and D. You have to put J.R. Like, Smith or Jared Dudley in. Well, those guys haven't played a minute in the finals. There's a difference between just not playing minutes and still playing like 25 minutes a game in the playoffs, which is exactly what Danny Green is been doing so i don't know i don't have a problem with that decision like i thought lebron made the right play which he always does like every single time like there was this one game on the heat where he they were playing the pacers in a conference final and lebron drove they were down one kicked out to bosh for a corner three made the right pass right read bosh just missed a three lebron was crucified for like two days leading up to the next game that oh michael jordan would have taken the shot i think that's bs you make the right play as a basketball player and i think that's what sets apart lebron from some of these other all-time greats who kind of always feel the need to have the ball and take that final shot like even michael jordan when he was being doubled or triple teamed towards the end of the game made that pass like he has some iconic moments like against the jazz during the last finals that he had when he made that shot he like he was only being he was being covered by one guy, right? So it was it was easy enough for him to only take out that one defender. But when he was being mm-hmm. double or triple teamed, he made the pass. And I think, yeah, but the basketball players, the best of them, even Kobe, if he's being triple teamed, would have made the pass. Yeah, I I think I think there was a lot wrong with what Morris did afterwards. Like I think you could have done anything, just reset the play. There was enough time to like reset it a little bit to get an open shot. Just kick to anybody other than the one guy who's covered in the post. But whatever. It happened. The Lakers responded well, which is what we're going to talk about next. Game six and how the Lakers closed it out. We saw a team that Miami had like 36 points with eight minutes left in the third quarter. Like this is one of the most dominant defensive displays I've ever seen a team have in a high stakes finals game. So, Ani, you you're you're the Laker fan here. I know they're very switchable out on the perimeter with KCP, Caruso, Danny Green. They have a lot of guys who can guard many positions, but I saw Anthony Davis today just take over a game defensively that I rarely see. Like we love talking about Rudy Gobert as one of the best defensive centers in the league, but he cannot do the stuff Anthony Davis did today. And correct me if I'm wrong. Like I I saw a guy guard drives effectively without fouling i saw a guy maintain verticality when people came to challenge him at the rim i saw someone take on people from jimmy butler to bam to kendrick nunn i I saw the lakers the the lakers just at the same way they run everything on offense through lebron they need anthony davis to command everything from inside the three-point line and I don't know. Like, I think that's just as fun to watch as seeing LeBron take over a game. I'm honestly confused as to how the Lakers won that game. Not, 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 not that they won that game, but it's just suddenly they had the lead and then the lead kept on building and building and building, and then they just won the game. And as I was watching it, it's kind of you're just in awe. Like, how are they? How are they doing this? They're making every single shot, and the Heat are not making a single shot. And it was just Danny Green played very well 
on the defensive side of the ball. KCP played very well on the defensive side of the ball. Alex Caruso, the 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 guy that gets you know chastised on Twitter because Bleacher Report is in love with him, right? But he is a very mm-hmm. good and gritty defensive player, and he played very well. Every single Laker stepped up defensively. Even Kyle Kuzma had a decent defense, and that's a lot to say for Kyle Kuzma, right? So it's it's pretty crazy, but. I mean, it's just, yeah, I, I totally agree with you on, on on the Anthony Davis part. And I think that's what the Lakers have with AD that they didn't necessarily have. Even when Kobe Bryant was there, when it was Kobe Shaq, or even when it was Kobe Powell. It's, you know, Shaq was a good defensive player, but that's because of his size. He wasn't necessarily the smartest defensive player. And sometimes he is not like the only way he, he could get outscored on was if he was outsmarted. He was He wasn't going to get out physical by anybody, right? Even Yao Ming, who was taller than Shaq, couldn't do that, right? And when you had Pau Gasol, Pau Gasol was a pretty good defensive player, but you don't have anybody like Anthony Davis who has the physicality, but also has the mental ability and mental awareness to, to be able to switch on guards, right? Even Pau couldn't do that, right? AD could, could guard Jim Butler, who plays the guard forward position. He could guard Kendrick Nunn, could guard Drogic. And it's just like, he's switchable. He can fit into any place you want him to i mean they, they started him as center today and they played amelia center dwight howard only got one minute today so basically ad was a center almost the entire game and it was just really fun to watch no it was funny that you brought up Shaq because i i think all things considered Shaq was just not a good defensive player like he made three all defensive second teams in his career which is pretty low for a guy who's we just associate with being super dominant and i think the crazy thing about Shaq is that his brilliance on the offensive end and just his overpowering physique kind of overshadowed the fact that he just wasn't an elite defensive player. At, at like, like He made three all-defensive teams. That just seems absurdly low for a guy who we hold as like a potential top 10, top 11-ish player all time. So it's, I, I don't know, like it, there's such a big difference from watching someone like Anthony Davis play Versus watching someone like Shaq, where I feel like AD's like sometimes hesitancy on offense is covered up by how crazy dominant he is on defense. Whereas for Shaq, it's kind of the opposite. I think Shaq didn't really try on on the defensive side of the ball because he knew he was just bigger and stronger than everyone else on the court, right? So when it came to the offensive side of the ball, he just sort of muscled through. When the defense came to him, or when he was on the defensive side of the ball, he was just like, if the if if, if it comes to me, I'll handle it. But AD is the opposite. Mm-hmm. AD shows more of an offensive mentality on defense. AD seeks out the block. He seeks out the the matchup. And he's very aggressive on defense, which is something you don't see. And I think the only other big man right now that's playing that aggressive style of defense is Rudy Gobert. But I think the difference between AD and Gobert is that AD, as we've seen in these playoffs, is a lot better being switched on to these smaller guards. We saw in the right. Rocket series, AD on Westbrook kind of shut him down. And it was really a great matchup because AD on Westbrook, Westbrook was almost neutralized in a sense. You know, it was very hard for him to shoot over AD. He had to shoot these teardrop floaters or do some crazy things just to get like a bucket or two. And I think AD being switchable on guards and also the, the Lakers having Danny Green and Caruso and KCP who were all great perimeter defenders. And Rondo, who's, you know, even increases defense, just made it a lot easier for that. Let's talk about vintage Rondo for a second. Like, dude, game six, Rondo was so fun to watch. Like, especially as that lead was building, Rondo was hitting all these crazy layups, insane angles. Just really reminded me of that young 
fresh out of Kentucky point guard, just starring in that role for the Celtics as the fourth guy in a big four that people called a big three, but it really was a big four. And his chemistry with Anthony Davis and some of the stuff he helps LeBron with is cannot be like stated enough. Like he, he takes so much of the burden off from LeBron for managing the offense. Like there'll be plays where LeBron just takes off and just walks on offense while Rondo's just cutting, facilitating, asking AD to come set screens, finding open guys. And Rondo really proved his worth after, you know, a pretty rough stint so far with LA until this season where I think people really started to appreciate some of the little things he did. And especially in the, the playoffs where, you know, playoff Rondo is a thing. And I know he doesn't like the nickname, but it's he elevates his game when it matters most. And I think that we all saw that. I mean, Rondo, 8 for 11 from the field, 3 for 4 from three-pointer, or from three-point land, what, four rebounds, four assists. He did have four turnovers, but had a steal, 19 points, and it's just he played really, really well. At one point, he was a perfect, what, I think 7 for 7 or 8 for 8. It was like, it was insane watching him play, and that's part of the reason why, especially in the second quarter, the Lakers ended up taking a, a, a what, almost 20... 25 plus point lead at one point in the third quarter it was close to what 30 points it was 36 at yeah one 36 point. it was it was crazy i mean zero, zero lead changes and it's just uh, this the second quarter made the difference you know the, the lakers outscored the heat 36 to 16 in the second quarter and just really took off from there so i think that's really where they closed out is their bench really stepped up and ad really stepped up on the defensive end and one hell of a run but Let's let's answer some more existential questions now. Let's talk about LeBron because we have to, right? Finals MVP led his team to a fourth finals appear. Or sorry, fourth finals championship for him. So now he's what four and six, right? Mm-hmm. Which is respectable, you know. People were making fun of him saying he's three and six, four and six is a lot better. It's all- Can we talk about the the fact that he's been to ten finals in seventeen years? It's unbelievable, right? <laughs> and so people are gonna talk about this finals because it's his first with the Lakers and he's had probably his best supporting cast member since maybe prime D Wade, definitely his best since the heat. Right. Mm -hmm. And so people are saying, Oh, this is his easiest path to the finals. It doesn't count. This is the easiest path to the finals. It's going to hurt his legacy. So I want to sort of throw out two questions. First, was this in your opinion, LeBron's easiest path to the finals? And if it was, does it matter even? No, because LeBron's been in the East for, or I'll count his Cleveland years, like the the second round of him being in Cleveland, like those were, like he he faced teams like Atlanta first round, or I, they played Indiana, I think Indiana took him to seven, but the, there's no way that Indiana team should have beaten the Cavs. Um, I'm talking about the Oladipo Pacers. Um, no, I don't think it was easy because first of all, you had everyone saying the Blazers were going to beat the Lakers first round, like everyone getting their healthy guys back, like Dame, CJ, Nurkic, and that was a objectively a very hard first round opponent for any top seeded team. Like I would hate to face Dame Lillard, bubble Dame Lillard, MVP of the bubble Dame Lillard in the first round. So he got past one of the guys who's what all NBA second team. So he did that. Then they beat a Rockets team that everyone thought would give the Lakers problems because of the whole small ball thing. And 
how Harden and Westbrook and P.J. Tucker at center would create such problems for a bigger L.A. team. Nope, 4-1. And that's not taking away from what LeBron and the Lakers did. That just shows that they made adjustments on the fly. Remember, they lost both game ones against both the Blazers and the Rockets, and there was panic after both of those. Like, oh, have they figured out L.A.? Have they figured out how to handle the size? Have they figured out that you can just take A.D. out of the game and LeBron really has to rely on the other guys. And at that time, we weren't sure if they could do it. But over the course of the bubble, they proved that. And then they ran into this buzzsaw Nuggets team that will never die. Like, I think it should have been 2-2. That game, AD hit the game winner. The Nuggets should have won that game. They came back after that to cut the lead to 2-1. And then after that, you know, the Lakers pulled away. But I thought that was a harder fought series than what the, the score indicates like 4-1 indicates oh like LA really didn't have to try that hard to win this series but I thought Denver had a good game plan they adjusted well and Jokic and Murray like took their game to another level in the bubble so tough matchup for the LA guards for LeBron and he took on that defensive challenge for Jamal Murray and showed like yes I'm still an elite defender in this league and then you get to the finals against a Miami team that had all the 2004 Pistons vibes, upset potential, and that Pistons team played a Laker team too. So, you know, there was a lot of that talk. And I'm a little I'm a little disappointed that Goran Dragic wasn't healthy for this series. Like, I, like, huge props to this guy for actually coming back and playing minutes in Game 6. But he was such a big part of what Miami did. He was their leading scorer, as they said on the broadcast many times, 20 points a game and close to 21 in the playoffs. So... We all know what he meant to them. And Bam obviously had his injuries. But injuries are always a part of the finals. Like, as a Warrior fan, I know 2015, Kyrie Irving didn't play. Kevin Love didn't play. And the Warriors still won 4-2. And it really feels like that kind of title. Like, this LA team felt like that 2015 Warriors team in terms of who they were playing in the finals. Just like an undermanned but gritty will not quit. And... Miami showed they can outwork the Lakers, but I think the LA's talent eventually just pulled away throughout the course of the series. But no, I don't think this was LeBron's easiest path to the finals. There were quality opponents, quality players, a lot of storylines in each series that he was involved in, whether it was the 3-1 Nuggets, Small Ball Rockets, the the play-in Blazers, the healthy Blazers, and then this Miami team that just ran through everybody in the East made it look pretty easy. So... I think it's also just in general one of the hardest titles ever a team has won, right? Because think about it. You're away from your family. You are in this isolated bubble where if you mess up, it's just you. You don't have like your loved ones around you. It's just you and your team. And we saw with the team like the Clippers, if there's like dissent or sorry, not I'm looking for what's the word? Dissent. Dissension. Dissension in the locker room. If you don't have guys who just constantly have your back, it can be a pretty rough experience. And thankfully, this Laker team had a lot of good chemistry. Um, I thought they they really handled adjustments well in every series, and it was it was one of the most challenging titles ever won. I don't think there's saying there's nothing wrong with saying that in a year where everything has been pretty challenging for all of us. I think if you look at this in a vacuum. Right, and just say based on opponent, is this the easiest path to the finals? I think the answer has to be yes. I think on paper, it might seem like that's not the case. But with the Blazers series, Dame Miller left that series quite early. And CJ McCollum was injured in that series. And he wasn't necessarily the same player that he was. I think if the Blazers were healthy, 
then you could make an argument, oh yeah, this is definitely, you know, a very tough opponent. And they were a tough opponent coming in. They had, you know, played a very good bubble and they they had beaten the Grizzlies in the playoff game the play in game and they looked really good, but just they fell apart because of injuries. And I agree injuries do happen, but I think that Blazers team wasn't as good as they were hyped up to be because of the injuries that they faced. Right? And then the mm-hmm. Rocket series, I think the whole question of whether the Lakers will be able to face up to the small ball the Rockets have was kind of overblown. It was just, as you said, it was a storyline. And I think we have to make the distinction between storylines and real basketball. And for Mm -hmm. me specifically, the Lakers had two of the best four players in that series, right? LeBron and AD are better than Harden and Westbrook. And although that, that Rockets team ended up making one heck of a series against the Thunder and taking that to seven, right? They just didn't have the, the talent on that roster. And however good of a score Harden is, and even Westbrook is on the defensive end, it was just too much of a liability. So I think if you just looked at that matchup and forgot about the quote-unquote storyline of the small ball, you could clearly see that the Lakers were going to win that because the, the Rockets essentially had no defense. The Nuggets series, I will give you. Nuggets were a very, very tough opponent, and they had a great team, and they're going to be an amazing franchise for the next few years. But I think the one takeaway, which you have to admit, is the fact that they had played 14 games up until that point, right? They were dog-tired. They still managed to take a game, and they still managed to make it super close, and I agree, it should have been 2-2. And if it was 2-2, I'm sure it would have gone to 7, right? But they had played 14 games up until that point in the series, and the, the Lakers had played 10, right? And the Lakers were up in every single game that they weren't down. They didn't have to come back from being 20 down in three consecutive games against one of the best teams in the league. So that 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 Nuggets team was a team that was sort of beat up. They weren't 100% because they'd played so many long games and played so many long series. And they were good roster-wise. They were really good. But it's just that they couldn't be their full potential, right? So I think you have to take that a little bit away from them. And the Heat, again, a quality opponent. Coaching-wise, one of the best opponents LeBron's has to, had to face because he faced one of the, the best coaches in the game, and they had a really good game plan. But we saw Drogic got injured and um, Bam got injured, and Drogic coming back, he came back in Game 6, but let's be honest, he was not the same player he was. And I think if Bam and Drogic were, were, were healthy for, for the entire series, I think this could have been pushed to 7. It probably would have been pushed to 7. I'm adamant that if both those guys were healthy, the, the Lakers would have lost. But I think at least you have to admit it would have been a much closer series and it probably would have been pushed to seven. So it's just like if you look at it like, oh, this this Portland team's supposed to be really good, right? And, oh, the small ball of, of the Rockets, the Lakers can handle that. And then, oh, this Nuggets team is really, really good. And then, oh, this Heat team, you know, Jimmy Butler led by them, this really deep team, everybody on their team is good. If you look at the storylines, then, yeah, of course, this wasn't LeBron's easiest pass to the finals. But if you just look past the storylines, if you look past the headlines that ESPN writes, really look into it. Portland team that didn't have its best player that got injured in the second game and the second best player was injured for most of it had a pretty awful bench. I mean, some guy stepped up, but let's be honest, their bench was, was not that great, and they were the eighth seed, right? So that series, eh. Then the Rockets played absolutely no defense. So, of course, the Lakers were able to win four games against them. No matter how much the, the Rockets put up on offense, they just could not stop AD in the paint, could not stop LeBron, just could not stop anybody on the Lakers team. Rockets had no defense, right? Then the Nuggets series. Tired team, great team, but just too tired and... 
we have to give them that, right? And then the Heat, two of their best players injured and two of their best playmakers injured and just weren't the same in that series. And I think based on that, I think this is LeBron's easiest path to the finals, but I don't think this is his easiest championship. I think his easiest championship was probably 2013 Miami. And I think the reason is because of exactly what you said. This is something that no one's ever faced before. This is, you know, a global pandemic where you had to be in Orlando, away from your family, away from the world. You couldn't do what you wanted to do. And I know LeBron and the Lakers are very passionate about social justice. And we even saw after what happened in Wisconsin that they wanted to sort of postpone or end the season. And they wanted to go out there and make their voices heard. They voted along with the Clippers to end the season. Right, so we saw all that, and they were still able to persevere, pull through, and win this championship. I think, based on those factors, it can't be LeBron's easiest win, easiest championship. Because I think, regardless of who won, no fans makes a difference because LeBron feeds off the fans, feeds off the energy. Even even if the other team does, LeBron James and the Lakers had a home court advantage against every single opponent they played, unless like they played the Bucks. But against every other team they would have faced, they would have had a home court advantage. So they would have had four of those games with the crazy Lakers fans seeing the Lakers in the playoffs for the first time cheering their 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 team on right that would have been crazy no family not being around anybody just i think as you said rightly so because of those factors i think this wasn't lebron's easiest path to the finals but i think doesn't this only helps his legacy it doesn't hurt it in my opinion but many will say it hurts his legacy but i mean a win is a win although it might have been easiest team wise i think because of the conditions it has to be you know, helping his legacy. And again, he's four and six now. So. Well, I think one, you said 2013 was his easiest championship. I think 2012 was easier because 2013, the Spurs had the series. They were up three, two, and we're going to win it if Ray Allen didn't hit that shot. So I think they really got saved in that finals. The 2012 OKC series against a really young Oklahoma city team. That was way ahead of its time. I thought that in which Miami won four, one, that was a very, easy championship well the reason why i said 2013 is because i think t- leading up to the finals it was easier to for lebron to get to the finals in 2013 because in 2012 you had to go through the Celtics squad right that was the last year the celtics or the second to last year the celtics were still together yeah it was one of their like their last times like going through the east that boston team was a very short-lived but i still think like, because upper because team. he lost them right the previous season, or sorry, the two seasons ago, he'd lost them as a member of the Cavs, and he just really needed to beat that team. So I think that's why it was easy. It was harder than 2013. I agree that like in the finals, the Thunder finals was obviously much easier because the Thunder only won the first game and they were just too young and too inexperienced, right? And that Spurs team, Pop coach, so obviously had to be great, and they were up and Ray Allen hit that three that saved them, right? But to get mm-hmm. to the actual finals, I think. 2012 was a lot easier than 2013 because they had to go through that Celtics team in 2012 and 2013. The Indiana team that wasn't that good took them to seven. So that Pacers team was good. Was not like, as good. The, uh, all things considered, if you take each player and match them up, like yeah, they won't. The talent gap is huge, but that Indiana team again, a Frank Vogel team, compete like really competed on defense. It was not as good as the Celtics team, and I think even the mind games weren't as good. Like. In the sense that it didn't mean that much to LeBron. Like, LeBron was really haunted, in a sense, by the Celtics team. It really, like, he really needed to beat that team. And I think just, but I think regardless, those two are probably, in, in, in terms of opponents purely, I think this one, just because of luck. I think if, if, 
every single team had played to its full potential, right? If the Nuggets had their entire roster, which they almost did, but if they hadn't played 14 games and been behind in every single game that they were down 3-1 by, and if Dame Lillard and Xavier Colm were healthy, and if Denwell House didn't get kicked out of the bubble, right? <laughs> which <laughs> I completely House. forgot about. Um then I think this might have been LeBron, like a harder path for LeBron than 2012, 2013, right? But because of all those things, I think it was easier. But again, as you said, he won the championship. That's all that matters. So I know another question we have is, is, is LeBron the GOAT? Um, To be determined. But it kind of ties into something you said earlier about like the social justice. Like this... This bubble was not just a basketball bubble, but it was also just bringing awareness to the public. Like, I think the NBA has done more things to educate people about voting, about their rights, about how to handle situations correctly than a lot of other organizations that should be doing that. And we have to commend not only the the commissioner, the league, but also, you know, people like Chris Paul and the Players Association for really getting their heads together talking to all the teams about how to come up with action items, initiatives for the cities of the teams, for players and their families to spearhead these initiatives. And I thought the NBA did a fantastic job blending that with an already competitive basketball format. So while there is, of course, like the natural competition that comes in the playoffs, it's a brotherhood. And we really saw that this season more than in any other postseason scenario for a lot of other sports that we've grown accustomed to watching so i thought the league did a good job the players did a good job so they had to balance a lot of stuff in addition to playing that's why i think you're right like it's a very difficult road to the championship just aside from talking about the teams they had to go through but as for lebron being the goat i he is the first guy to win a title for three different teams so that's like one cool stat for him he's second in so many finals categories he's fourth in rebounding he's eventually going to be the all-time regular season points leader for the nba if he keeps this pace i think career wise he's had the best peak because he's still in his prime and his prime started when he was like 19 or 18 um Jordan is still one for me until LeBron wins another one. But if he gets to five, we can have the talk. I feel the same way. I think for me, Jordan's still number one, but I think LeBron still has like four or five years left in his career easily. And we'll see how long he sustains his peak. Because I think if he plays to this level or even slightly less to this level for the next three years, then his peak will be longer than Jordan's peak. And it's crazy to think that Jordan did everything he did in only basically 10 or 11 good seasons, right? But LeBron can easily have 15, 16 good seasons that are equal to Jordan's 10 or 11 good seasons and make the championship more or make the finals more often than Jordan did against not, I wouldn't say against tougher competition because Jordan did have to go through some very tough teams, but at the same time, I think LeBron James has a lot left in his career, so I think we'll have to wait and see how this shapes out. But for me, I think he's Jordan is still number one. Well, I have a, I have a question and a, a comparison for you. So the question is, do we 
do we knock LeBron for switching teams so much compared to Jordan, who really just stuck it out and did it with one team his entire career? I, I really just don't count the Wizards anymore for Jordan. But, like, he he went through bad seasons with the Bulls where, you know, they made the playoffs as, like, a really low record team. I think, like, one of their first years, they were an eight seed, and they were, like, 15 or 16 games under 500. So, Jordan's been had bad years. He's eventually gotten to the point where they just made the finals anytime you had Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen on your team. But what I'm saying is, like, do we knock LeBron for going and doing the whole big three thing? Do we... Do, do we care about that when discussing this GOAT debate? Well, I think LeBron James made the finals with that 2007 Cavs team that was absolute garbage, right? And I think that can be compared to Michael Jordan making the playoffs with a team that was absolutely garbage. But I think LeBron James's making the finals was much more impressive than Jordan just making the playoffs, right? Because mm-hmm. LeBron was the only player. His second best player on the team was Zandres Iglegauskas, Iglikis, whatever his name is. Zydrunas Ogowski. Yeah, the kid that we used to make, the guy that we used to make fun of as as kids, you know, when we used to play. Was Mo was Mo Williams on that? Yeah, Mo Williams team, and, did and he... Daniel Booby Gibson was on that team. Um, but still, like Ilagowskis was probably their second best player, which is saying a lot to the quality of that roster, which is absolutely garbage. Right, he led that team to the finals, which is crazy. It's still one of the craziest things. I think that's like one of the craziest things LeBron's has done. LeBron has done in his career as a young player, skill set very raw, still not refined. He led a team of basically nobodies to the NBA Finals. Although we got swept by the Spurs, the fact that they made it that far is insane to me. And I think anything that Jordan did in his young career can't eclipse that specifically, right? But I think... Correction, wait, Mo Williams wasn't on that was, team. So he was with Milwaukee until 2008. And then 2008-2009, you know that season yeah, where yeah. The, the Magic beat him in the playoffs? Mm. That was Mo Williams' all-star okay, season. But my yeah, bad. So, continue, which is even continue. better for LeBron. They didn't even have Mo Williams then, right? So, yeah. I mean, yeah, so good good on LeBron. I think that part is pretty crazy. But I think one thing that Jordan got lucky with that LeBron did not get lucky with is Jordan got these pieces handed to him almost, right? They drafted Scottie Pippen. They got Paxson. They got Kerr. When, when LeBron was in Cleveland, the front office almost did him no help in getting him pieces that were able to help him win, right? But Jordan was able to get pieces that were able to help him win right so jordan didn't need to move anywhere because he got pieces that came to him right but when 2010 summer came along lebron was sick and tired of being on that Cavs team for like half a decade and not having any help and knowing that the Cavs front office was not able to get him any help he needed to do something i can almost guarantee that if like if the Cavs were able to draft someone that into the caliber of someone like Scottie Pippen, right? Or were able to get someone as the caliber of Dennis Rodman or something. Then LeBron wouldn't have left. He'd been on the Cavs his entire career. But just Jordan got really lucky that they just kept on putting good pieces around him that he was able to win. Because Jordan did have good teammates. He did have a good supporting cast. And that's why he won six championships. And the reason he was able to win six championships with the same Bulls team, essentially, with some pieces swapped out here, swapped out here and there, is because the front office brought pieces to him. Right, but LeBron had to go and find pieces elsewhere. We see the same thing with Kobe, right? Kobe, the Lakers brought Shaq to Kobe, right? They had Shaq, mm-hmm. won three championships, right? Then after a few years, they bought Pau Gasol, they got Andrew Bynum, right? They got Metal World Peace, they got all these players, and they drafted some players in house and stuff. They traded away Kwame Brown, greatest trade in Lakers history, right? Or second greatest trade, I guess. The first great trade, greatest trade is 
trading up to get Kobe Bryant or trading the Charlotte Hornets Bobcats. Where does trading for where does trading for AD rank? Three, no four, 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 four. I think. What what do you have ahead of it? Uh, it's getting Kobe, getting Shaq, getting rid of Kwame Brown, and then getting AD. Because they've only won one championship with AD, right? So I think if they win two, but still, I think for the meme's sake, it has to be getting rid of Kwame Brown. Because um, mm-hmm. they made oh three championships, God. right? And also, they got rid of Kwame Brown. It's like, it has to be celebrated. Um, <laughs> but yeah, right? Like, Kobe got all this help given to him, right? Like, LeBron James had to go seek help elsewhere. The only time he got help was when he was in Cleveland, where they drafted Kyrie and they managed to get Kevin Love, right? But even then, Kyrie left. And they weren't able to sustain that level of play without Kyrie. And it's just like LeBron James was never given the help that Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan were given, right? So I think the whole moving teams thing, bit of a moot point, in my opinion. Because I think if LeBron was like on a competent franchise or with a competent franchise, it's a different question. And then the second thing I had was, that was a, that was a while back, I think. I had the comparison of, We've always thought Joe Montana in football was the greatest quarterback to ever play. And then Tom Brady came along, took a while, kept making Super Bowls, kept winning Super Bowls. Eventually got to a point where now it's just unquestioned that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback to ever play football. And you agree, right? Yeah. Is that something that is eventually going to happen with LeBron where, you know, we're always just questioning he doesn't have six. He doesn't have six. Jordan won six. Every time he was in the finals, he won. At what point does... When does LeBron reach the point where we can just say without question his career, his playoffs, the fact that he made more finals, the fact that I think he's going to win one more. I don't think it's out of the question to assume that with AD, this team is just going to be back stronger next season. I... I don't know. Like I, I'm tired of all the questioning about his greatness. I think it comes if he wins five, right? He'll be five for seven, but he'll have made eleven finals. And I think at that point, you kind of have to be like, "Yeah, Jordan won six. And it's it's a different situation because Tom Brady's won more Super Bowls than Joe Montana, although he's lost three of them. He still won more Super Bowls, right? So it's a kind of a different mm-hmm. situation. But I think if LeBron wins five, you kind of have to say like, "Yeah, he." He's made 11 championships, and he's faced some of the greatest teams of all time in those championships, right? He faced those two Warriors teams with KD, which were pretty crazy. Granted, he's had, he's had, he's had some bad finals losses. I think that 2011 Mavs loss was kind of embarrassing in the sense that that was, you know, obviously a good team, and they had some amazing chemistry, and we've talked to Darrell Armstrong about how good that team was, but just on a, on a paper level, right, that team wasn't that great, especially if you compare it to those Warriors teams that he lost to. But he's had some. I think that's like the that's like the only low point of his career, right? Yeah. That that Mav series specifically that Mav series because every other series that he had of the of the now six that he's lost, he lost against the Warriors three times, and I think all three of those times are definitely excusable because I think the Warriors had better teams than him all three of those times, right? He lost the Spurs once, and you have Pop, and again you had that big three with Duncan, Ginobili, and Tony Parker, right? And you had Danny Green on one of those teams and Kawhi Leonard on one of those teams. So you had a really, really stacked team, right? You had um, the fifth loss is that Mavs loss, which I think, again, 
right? Bad loss. And then the sixth loss is the Spurs in 2007, which is an excusable loss, right? So he only had really one unexcusable loss. And so I think if you look at like series in which LeBron won, of the four rings he won, right? He was only favored in three of them. Not only, but he was favored in three of them, right? That fourth one against the Warriors, they obviously were not favored, and they managed to come back 3-1, which again, mm-hmm. I think on like in some sense, I think that might, that might need to count as like a championship and a half in just how 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 much like they had to come back and how good that team was, the greatest regular season team in NBA history. Uh-huh. I don't know. I, I really don't know. But, you know, let's, let's stop talking about LeBron and let's move on to the losers of the NBA championships but, or the NBA finals, but still a great team, Eastern Conference champions, the Miami Heat. Where do they go from here? Do you think they should re-sign Drogic? Who's expiring? Do you think they should get somebody else in free agency? Do you think they should keep their team as is? And how far do you think they're going to go next season? Uh, I'll, I'll do this quickly because we're going to do an episode where we talk about the futures for all the NBA teams heading into next season. Like we'll go over draft, we'll go over free agency, we'll talk about all that. So I'll keep it brief. Um, I think it's, I think it's unlikely they keep Drogic just because you want to swing big in free agency, and Drogic's going to get paid. So if you're Miami, you have the choice of either paying Drogic his last like big contract. And I'm not saying something crazy. Like I don't think he's going to make like 25 mil in the open market or something. But I think he'll make like 18, 19 million dollars, especially if he's healthy. And after seeing what he could do this season, that's not unwarranted at all for a player of his caliber. But at that point, you're placing constraints on your team and how you can expand. Because at a certain point, you're going to have to lock down Duncan Robinson. You're going to have to... You're already paying Jimmy a lot of money. Bam's going to get his... I think they, they signed Bam to an extension, but I don't know what that amount was. Or maybe they didn't. I actually have no idea. I'm going to check it right now. Bam, out of bio, extension. Um, yeah, he'll, so he'll be eligible for a rookie extension this offseason, which means they got to pay Bam. Tyler Hero at some point... They have a Superbank slot available, though. Yes. So that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know if they want to go into luxury tax or how they plan to do this, but they have they have things to consider. I, I think it's unrealistic that they keep Drogic, which sucks because I I know he wants to run it back. And I know as of this point, like Miami really wants him to, but he's going to get paid by somebody. Like He's going to get a lot of money. So my thing is they, they got to go after either Oladipo or Giannis because Giannis with this Miami team, which already has so much shooting around it, and a dog in Jimmy Butler would be the perfect system for Giannis to just come in and be the, you know, the imposing big man that they just, like, we saw Bam grow, we saw Bam develop. Imagine Bam playing alongside Giannis. Giannis is not leaving the Bucks, dude. I think he's, like, made it pretty clear he wants to try one more year with the Bucks. No, I'm not saying, I'm not saying this year, because I, I, I also don't think it's likely that Giannis requests a trade. So I'm talking 2021. But Oladipo is another guy who I think would fit really well. I mean, it, he's had a lot of injury issues and pretty serious injuries that too. But I think he'll be back healthy next season. He showed flashes in the bubble. Um, good shooter when he wants to be. Can slash. Um, Playmake. He's like a do-it-all shooting guard. So I think he's like a very Jimmy Butler-esque player in terms of how he runs offense. And he's a great defender too, so I think he'd be great for Miami. I think the Heat are set up 
in the Eastern Conference the best to make another title run. And I think in the Western Conference, it's the Nuggets. I think both these teams have some young budding stars available for them and have someone with a really dog mentality with Jamal Murray and Jimmy Butler, respectively, right? And this Nuggets team's only growing more experienced, and so is the Heat team minus Jimmy Butler with Hero and Kendrick Nunn and Robinson and Bam and just so many young players on that squad, right? I think both these teams are set up really well for title runs next year. So I think if the Heat can make a little bit of a splash in free agency maybe and pick up one player or pick up somebody to replace Drogic, I know they have none and none kind of maybe can play that role. I don't know. We'll see. I think the Heat are really well set up. So I think the Heat are in a good position from a franchise perspective to potentially even make the finals next year. But the final question I have for this episode is, were we wrong to doubt the Lakers at the beginning of this season and say that they'd lose to the Clippers and the Clippers were the clear number one seed? Because I've been seeing on Twitter, as I'm sure you have and our listeners who are active on Twitter and are a similar part of NBA Twitter, a lot of Twitter right now is saying, oh, this Lakers team is obviously the best team. They're the two best players in the league. They were going to win this. Of course, they were going to win this. I just saw an Atlantic article that said it had to be the Lakers. But I've seen statistical evidence that's, that's that's not true, right? Like we've seen ESPN's FPI index that gave the Lakers a zero percent chance of winning the championship at the beginning of this offseason, and no expert in ESPN's preseason poll had the Lakers winning the championship or even winning the Western Conference. And every single person on ESPN and NBA.com and Sports Illustrated and CBS Sports all said, "Oh, this Clippers team is so deep. It's so much better than the Lakers. This Lakers team is going to have struggles." And even coming into the bubble, they said, "Oh yeah, this Clippers team is finally healthy." And even we said this too. I'll admit, I said this too, and I still do think. And this is why I'm asking this question to you: is I think coming into it, this Clippers team, like as constructed, is a deeper team and a better team than the Lakers because the execution was all that failed. I think from a roster standpoint, they clearly have a better roster than the Lakers because they're not as top-heavy. They just have so many hard hitters everywhere else. And from a roster depth standpoint, they're much deeper than the Lakers. But I just think from a coaching standpoint, the Lakers were better. And then from an organizational standpoint, the Lakers were better. And just from an execution standpoint, the Lakers are better. But people are now trying to spin this narrative that the Lakers were supposed to win this. And of course, it was theirs. And you know, it was theirs to lose, but we see from the preseason that's not true. The people had doubts about this Lakers squad. They said the Bucks can beat them. The Clippers can beat them. People were saying, oh, this Lakers team's not even going to make the, the playoffs. They're going to be a bottom four seed. The Pelicans with Zion are going to do so much better. Just seeing all these old tweets dug up by, by Lakers haters are just hilarious. That's why I hate preseason predictions because you don't get to see a team grow into what they are. Like, obviously, if you just go by paper, the Clippers have one of the best rosters ever assembled. And that I don't think that's unfair to say. Um, but that's what, like, they didn't play enough together throughout the regular season. We saw it in the playoffs. Um, and the Laker team, you know, the chemistry built. They, all those guys played so many meaningful minutes together throughout the season. All the role guys got to gel. Frank Bogle really got to play along with his lineups. And we forget that Avery Bradley was a huge piece of this Laker team in the regular season. And he just didn't play in the bubble because of COVID concerns, which obviously is very justified. But that's a huge piece that they didn't have for a playoff run. And they looked shaky in the bubble. Like going into the playoffs, 
they they didn't inspire a lot of confidence. But you know, there's there's Braun, and then there's playoff Braun, and then there's finals Braun. And as a Warrior fan, I know all too well what that guy does to teams when the stakes are the highest, and it's scary. It's just not fun to root for your team when he's doing what he does in big moments. So. Were we wrong to doubt the Lakers at the beginning of the season? Maybe not. Were we wrong to doubt them before the the playoffs started? Maybe not. But that's why we don't get paid a lot of money, if any. And all these guys get paid a lot of money. Because they get to work throughout the season to you know, erase any doubts. To figure out their play style. Figure out how to work with coaches. And the Lakers figured it out. Like... Credit to them. They made every adjustment. They really executed well. Got all their role guys involved. So, I don't know. I, I can't really speak to whether we're wrong or not. Like, you know, because before the season, I thought Golden State was just going to make another run. But injuries, so. Yeah, we just don't know anything. That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, we don't, you said, <laughs> we don't get we don't get paid at all, dude. We don't get paid nothing for doing this. So, of course, our predictions <laughs> are going to be wrong. And even people that do get paid, their predictions are wrong. But I think one thing is for certain, and it is that this season of the NBA was historic. It was a crazy season. It was a great playoff run. It was an amazing final series. And I think in general, there was a lot that happened. But I'm really glad that it happened. And it's just the NBA has been so much of a part of my life in general, but especially this year. You know, I remember watching NBA games when I was in Asia during winter break. I remember watching the beginning when the Lakers beat... um, the the Warriors in the preseason and saying, oh, wow, this Lakers team looks good. I remember the, the, the opening season, the Lakers lost to the Clippers, and even Christmas Day when the Lakers lost to the Clippers and the Clippers fans saying, oh, yeah, you know, the Lakers, you know, the, Warriors, the, the Clippers have the Lakers numbers. And then I remember when the COVID-19 pandemic became real in America, when Rudy Gobert ended up getting COVID-19, and when that, that, that Mavs game was essentially the last NBA regular season game that happened before the bubble and sort of seeing sports shut down. And just it's been a crazy part of 2020, the NBA has. And just seeing how happy people were when the bubble came back and how happy we were that we could finally talk about sports. So it's been a great season, a crazy season, uh, a memorable season. I think one of the best seasons ever. Some great storylines, some great play. Forgetting some of the bad stuff that happened earlier this season just when the bubble came everyone stepped it up you had basically michael jordan-esque play from random players like tj warren or you know eight and no phoenix suns but still managed to not end up getting into the playoffs dame lillard going off so many iconic storylines and i think we can all agree that this has been a great season i'm glad to have watched the latter half of it with you and have talked about it with you in our audience and i'm really glad to any listeners that that you guys were able to join us on this journey and to see a new nba champion be crowned so we're going to be talking a lot about what the offseason is going to look like you know when the draft comes around how that's going to look like we'll see if Lamelo ball even gets drafted uh we'll see about that and we'll he's, see he's going top four I'm sorry, he's going top four. He, he he apparently canceled a bunch of pre-draft workouts, so... He, he's still going to go top four. We'll see what happens, but we'll see what happens when the new NBA season starts, and I believe Adam Silver said now 2021, not Christmas 2020, but 2021 completely, so we'll see what happens. But glad you guys were able to come on this journey with us, and 
Yeah, again, lots more to NBA talk about. Off-season stuff, new season predictions. Again, the MLB playoffs are going on. ALCS, NLCS, Astros Rays. So maybe Tampa Bay is going to make the uh, World Series. We'll see about that. So who knows? Exclamation point. Excited. Uh, We'll see about the NFL. We have an NFL episode coming out. I was going to recap a pretty crazy week five after the Tuesday games. As of right now, when we're recording, this is still a TBD as to whether the Titans-Bills game is going to go on. Uh, it's Tuesday. It's Tuesday. Yeah, but there's just been another reported case today in the Titans oh facility God. of COVID again. So we'll see what happens. Uh, it's Sunday. Uh, lots of crazy NFL stuff. Dak's horrific injury. Praying for Dak and hoping he's okay. Lots of crazy stuff happening. We'll be putting that episode out again. But again, we're going to try putting out more content for y'all. Uh, we did our last episode a video episode and we'll be doing mostly video episodes from here on out so you guys can check us out on youtube this episode will only be audio but most of our next episodes will be on youtube follow us on instagram podcast.lockedin visit our website lockedinpod.com we'll be posting more blog posts there and you can see our videos and everything is on there and as well as our instagram we're doing again nfl weekly picks i'm ahead of shri and i'm still ahead of shri as of right now because i'm just the better predictor I don't think you're ahead after this week. I am, because I, I, I predicted the Dolphins are going to beat the 49ers, like a smart guy that I am. Oh, I think I called Raiders Chiefs. Yeah, because you just said the Raiders are going to win. So, uh, But we'll see. I mean, I got very lucky. I said the Giants would beat the Cowboys and the Vikings would lose to the, the Seahawks, and both those happened on game-winning drives. So very lucky. Well, the Cowboys won. Yeah, I said the Cowboys would beat the Giants. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was like but they almost didn't right? beat the Giants. So. Yes, yeah. yes. But again, lots, lots more to come your way. So please check that out. We appreciate you listening. It's been a great NBA season. And sure, you have anything else to say? Yeah, I mean, like, we, we kind of started this podcast for like, just because we were bored. And we had no sports going on. It was just power rankings and more power rankings and talking about movies and TV shows. There's a really loud siren outside my window right now. So if that gets into this audio, I apologize. But I don't know. The NBA was a savior in a time where like we just didn't have a lot of stuff going on at home. Like I, I was like waiting for school to start, and like there's just not much to do. Like you're just stuck at home, and if you meet friends, it's just like at a park and like socially distance, and it's just not the same. But like basketball was the one normal thing going on. And I thought the NBA did a great job with its format. They did a really good job presenting it to us viewers at home. So props to them. Props to the Lakers. Congrats, LeBron. Congrats to every single person associated with the league who made it a complete success. And my part-time job as an NBA watcher is now done for the season. So it's going to be a long road ahead, but plenty of NFL, plenty of other sports. And that's about it. Thanks thanks for listening to our dumb basketball takes, our Devin Booker, Jimmy Butler debates, anything you might have heard on this podcast that was even remotely interesting. We appreciate you guys. Yeah, and as always, sorry, I'm laughing about the Jimmy Butler take, but I think I was right on that. But as always, spot on. As always, stay safe and wash your hands. Wash your hands, people. Peace.